Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Your grandpa probably said that if your digestion is good, you're going to have a good day. He was right, although he might not have known why he was right. Dr. Cole Eason, a lecturer in the Department of Biology, is one of the researchers who contributed to a study of how sleep, or lack of sleep, affects the impact of the microbes in the intestines. The majority of his colleagues on the study are from Nova Southeastern University in Broward County, Florida. We'll find out how your sleeping habits and your bowel movements are connected after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. Nothing strikes fear into the heart of a diligent college student as much as needing writing guidance with a class deadline looming. The Margaret H. Ordobadian University Writing Center at MTSU is determined not to leave students in the lurch as they work on their assignments off campus due to the COVID-19 outbreak. Nearly 30 tutors remain available to help with both undergraduate and graduate projects in online sessions. Each session is either 25 or 45 minutes long and empowers a student to communicate with the tutor in real time, either with or without audiovisual technology. Upon entering the virtual tutoring session, students see a series of instructions on a whiteboard on which they can paste their writing projects for review by the tutor. To the left is a space for audiovisual contact, which is totally optional. To the right is a chat box in which students and tutors can talk with each other in a text messaging format. And some MTSU nursing students are doing their part to help Tennesseans survive the coronavirus outbreak. About 25 MTSU students are helping to staff the Tennessee Department of Health's COVID-19 hotline, which is available from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Central Time, seven days a week. They sit six feet apart, supplied with information and antiseptic wipes at the Tennessee Emergency Management Agency's command center in Nashville. The students, clad in their clinical scrubs and lab coats, provide callers from throughout the state with available facts and try to dispel rumors, misinformation, and disinformation. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Welcome back, Cole. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me again. First of all, let's establish a definition of a gut microbiome. What is your gut microbiome? So when we talk about your gut, we're just referring to your your uh, digestive tract. Um, and then uh, the microbiome component is it's all the single celled microorganisms that uh, live live in your gut. Um, our our guts are, are very diverse. It means we have a lot of different microbes that live throughout them. And um, we've come to learn just just how important this this community of uh, different bacterial and archaeal species are uh, to different components of our uh, health and and well-being so when we refer to the gut microbiome we're just talking about this community of uh, microorganisms that live live inside our digestive tract now when people hear about that uh, I think some people immediately think, Oh, well, that must mean I'm sick or I have the potential for getting sick or or they jump to the conclusion that these microorganisms are going to attack their immune system uh, because viruses and bacteria, some of them cause illness. But 
how do you know what the proper balance of bacteria, viruses, protozoa, and fungi in your gut should be? That is actually, that's a really great question. Um, and sort of the the totality of microbiome research is trying to tackle that specifically. It's a very complicated community. It's It's got a lot of different species and they interact with each other and with us. Um, so trying to figure out what, what a healthy microbiome is, that's sort of our goal, um, it is, is tricky. And I, although sort of pop culture has moved into this, you, you see this advertised, uh, this particular food is good for your gut health, your, your microbiome health. And uh, I think that the science isn't quite there. We, we, we know some things about what a healthy gut microbiome looks like, but we're still figuring a lot of it out. It's, it's, it's complicated. And as we dig more into it, we're finding that it's even more complicated than we initially thought. So what was the methodology that you and your colleagues used for the research in this particular study? So broadly, we we're interested in this concept of the brain-gut microbiome axis. This is the connection between your brain, your gut, and the microbes that live inside it. And as, as uh, scientists have done research in this area, we've figured out that the microbes can talk specifically to our brains. So we wanted to look at the connection between the microbiome and some metrics of uh, stress uh, and immune system, sleep, uh, as well as measurements of emotion and cognition. So we recruited uh, a cross-section of uh, the college campus at Nova Southeastern. I think our average age of participant was about 22. We measured um, some immune system markers and cortisol, which is a measure of stress from the saliva of the participants. We, we took uh, gut microbiome samples, which not a, not a not a pleasant sampling necessarily, but it's a swab that you take a lower, it's a lower intestinal swab. We'll leave it at that. Well, that pretty much explains it. Yeah. With the gut microbiome samples, we use next-gen sequencing to capture what the community looks like. Um, and then we compared it to these measures of uh, immune system function um, and stress. And we also had the participants wear uh, sort of a Fitbit that monitored their, their sleep and how much they woke up and things associated with that. In addition, we had them take a, a couple questionnaire panels that measured um, cognitive function and um, emotional state. They were... Uh... Rather, um, I, I don't know if courageous is the right word, but uh, certainly adventurous in any event uh, to uh, undergo the swab process, uh, knowing what it was going to be. They, and they did the swabbing themselves. Oh, well, that so they didn't have to have a stranger deal with that. That's wonderful. And uh, this Fitbit that you're talking about is called an Acta Watch. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, the, the, its main function was to measure sleep. We found actually in our study, and this was sort of embedded in that, that what people reported for their sleep was different than what was actually the case. People always reported that they slept more and slept better than they than they did if you measured it objectively. And the Acta Watch can determine when you fall asleep and how long you stay asleep, and then um, sort of what the quality of that is by monitoring. Uh, things like your heartbeat. Were they just confused or were they intentionally misreporting how much sleep they got? I wouldn't say anyone intentionally misreports. I think people just tend to think they do 
better at things like sleep than they actually do. You Uh, go to bed drowsy and you wake up drowsy. So you're in a state of semi-confusion at both moments. Exactly. Right. And then you're asked later to record, well, how on average, how much sleep do you get? And it's like, maybe you woke up a few times in a particular night. The watch will catch that and you may not remember that in your in your brain. The watch will remember if you go, we end up at 2.30, went to the bathroom, used the bathroom and then came back and then it took you X amount of time to go back to sleep. Exactly. Exactly. And, and did you make it into a REM cycle of sleep and things that, you know, like measuring your REM sleep is not something that we have any conscious ability to really do so that the the monitoring device really helps capture those uh, aspects. And I, based on what we found, it gives us a, a way more accurate view of someone's actual sleep habits. And REM sleep is that super deep, healthy sleep that we all need. Right. It is. Yeah. Uh, we need we need REM sleep each night so that we wake up and are rested. Yes. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms. There's no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. We're talking about the connection between sleep and your gut with Dr. Cole Leeson, a lecturer in the Department of Biology who uh, conducted a study along with colleagues at Nova Southeastern University in Florida about how sleeping and your intestines are connected. Why is this important in a larger sense? What kinds of health issues come to the fore as the result of a a bad connection between your sleeping habits and your gut? There's sort of this this network of connections. By that I mean that just it's not just sleep and your gut microbes. There's also connections with your immune system. And connections between sleep and the immune system have been pretty well established uh, in other uh, studies that didn't look at the, the microbes. So we just sort of took a body of knowledge that was already there, looking at connections between sleep and stress and immune systems and all, all of these things and said, well, where do the microbes fit in here? How are they related in to these, these various metrics that other studies have connected to each other? So it connects with a lot of broader health things, including immune function is not our study, but other studies have shown shifts in the gut microbiome related to things like anxiety and depression with gastrointestinal diseases, uh, and even with things um, like Parkinson's and, you know, other other more more severe disorders related to changes in, in gut microbes. So as we get more into this, we find out just how complicated uh, this interaction is and how uh, important our, our gut microbes are to 
uh, a lot of aspects of our health and, and well-being. What did you find with regard to the relationship between sleep and my gut microbiomes in this particular study with these particular students who were your volunteers? So generally speaking, a, a more diverse microbiome is considered to be a, a healthier microbiome. Uh, our participants who got more sleep and higher quality sleep had a more diverse uh, microbiome. They, they appeared to have this healthier uh, microbiome. And there was a nice strong correlation um, with a few different metrics of diversity and, and richness, just meaning diversity and richness just refers to how many species you have and sort of in what um, arrangement are they in. And so we found that generally as you got more sleep and better quality sleep that you had this, this more diverse uh, microbiome. You could find yourself in sort of a vicious circle with the relationship if, say, you, you suffer from irritable bowel syndrome and you can't really get to sleep because you have so much disruption or pain in your gut and you're up at night and then one malady sort of feeds the other. So it can be a, a real downward spiral in certain circumstances. Certainly, certainly, yeah. These sort of broad connections sort of bring into context how there's this sort of overall health that you should think about. Um, and yeah, and sleep is is central uh, to a lot of that. So things like gastrointestinal diseases of some sort uh, that might keep you up, that could have sort of a cascading effect and make it harder to treat that o over time. As we study more of this, we're looking at treatments for such things like irritable bowel syndrome that might involve the microbes and like fecal transplants is something that some groups are experimenting with mm -hmm. and how maybe shifting the microbiome could actually help your sleep. You can think about it in, in two ways. You can have these cascading negative effects, but it also might represent a therapeutic target that once we have a, a, a little bit better understanding of, of this community, we could um, try to target that and maybe fix sleep and the, you know, what, bowel syndrome of or whatever. Where does emotion come in? I've understood, for example, that if someone is under a great deal of stress, they might be prone to develop a lot of gas in their intestines, for example. So if your stress adversely affects your gut, then that could also adversely affect the sleep, one might presume, and mm -hmm. you have another vicious circle going on. Yeah, certainly. Uh, we didn't specifically find this connection with stress, but, but other studies have. Right. Um, and one of the complicated things about this research is humans very widely in you know what they eat and where they live and all, all of these different variables that are hard to control for. So there's no cookie cutter answer to each and every individual with regard to their own relationship between sleep and the gut microbiome. Right. And as far as your gut microbiome, there was there was a meta analysis, I, I believe it came out in 2017, that showed that that sort of compiled all the studies on the gut microbiome to date and found that diet was the single biggest factor. And controlling across the study for people's diet is is very challenging. While we found these nice strong connections with sleep, there's still this this component of diet on top of it that uh, that that is typically this big player in the gut. So yeah, it's it's complicated. Very. <laughs> yeah. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Intercultural and Diversity Affairs Center helps to promote awareness and understanding of the wide variety of cultures represented at MTSU. 
The center provides information, referrals, and resources. Additionally, IDAC tries to make students from different cultures feel welcome and comfortable on campus so they can have every opportunity to fulfill their academic, social, and personal potential. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Specialized training in forensic science prepares tomorrow's professionals through the Forensic Institute for Research and Education, or FIRE. The Forensic Anthropology Search and Recovery Team assists law enforcement with skeletal remains at crime scenes. Legendary forensic scientists provide lectures free to the public, and high school students work realistic crime scenes each summer at our CSI MTSU camp. I'm Dr. Hugh Berryman, Director of FIRE. For more details, visit mtsunews.com. We're talking about a study conducted by researchers from Nova Southeastern University in Florida and Dr. Cole Leeson, a lecturer in our Department of Biology, on the relationship between sleep or lack of sleep and the intestines and how they function. How does an average layperson uh, attempt to ascertain what the best course of action would be to ensure the most diverse gut biome, uh, microbiome. I can hear someone saying to himself, well, uh, do I take probiotics? Do I go vegan? Do I uh, eat mostly uh, uh, fiber-rich foods? Do I take Metamucil every day? I mean, all of these questions are going to be swirling around the brains of people who are not scientifically oriented. Sure. It is difficult to make recommendations specifically because we talked about how each person is a little bit different. Right. And and you're not a physician. I'm not a physician. Yeah, I'm not qualified to diagnose a, anybody. Yeah. Those kinds of recommendations that you're talking about have already permeated into pop culture, into food advertisements. And, you know, it could certainly be a good thing to eat avocados and eat, eat a lot of vegetables and fiber and things like that. The specific effects that that is going to have is difficult to pinpoint because um, because of the variability person to person and all these other things that factor into that. Maybe you have a great diet, but you don't get you don't get any sleep or you have a great diet, but you have a really stressful job or a stressful situation in your life. You know, it's it's really difficult to make sort of broad recommendations. And I know that that is frustrating to people who mm -hmm. it's like, well, okay, the, the, you're talking about my health, but you can't tell me what I should do. Those kind of recommendations are coming. That's part of the progressive march of science. It moves slowly, but one study after another adds to the cumulative bulk of knowledge available exactly. exactly yeah and and our study is like us is a small piece of a much broader picture and you know in the near future people who are qualified to make these recommendations will you know be able to say okay you know here here is a probiotic that might work or here is a, a set of foods that would promote you know this high diversity in the gut microbiome or mm -hmm. yeah i think yeah. It, i think that's coming so does sleep help promote a more diverse gut microbiome. The the, the proper amount of sleep, yeah, I should say. Yeah, that that one of the caveats of our study is that we don't know the directionality, and and with a lot of human studies, these you know associating. I'll just take ours as an example: sleep with gut microbiomes. It's a correlation. And so you have to be careful not to assign causation to that because we don't want to say, well, you know what, if you sleep, if you get a lot of sleep, your gut gut will be okay, be okay, um, because we don't know 
which direction. Or if your gut's okay, then you'll get a lot of sleep. Yeah. Um, So we found this correlation, which suggests there's some interaction, but we can't say for sure which direction. Is it the sleep that promotes better gut microbes or the better gut microbes that promote better sleep? Mm -hmm. Um, Things like that, yeah. When I was even a young adult, there was no such thing as a probiotic on the market. Uh, That was not something big pharma... It wasn't even on their radar screen. And so I had no awareness when I developed a terrible case of strep throat what antibiotics could do to ravage the gut microbiome. And you will end up with a terrible case of constipation, seemingly intractable, if you don't take the proper steps to replenish the microorganisms that you need in your gut that the antibiotics take away. The antibiotics are doing their job. Uh, Taking you know, away the bad, right. but also the good. Right. The The connection therein is, uh, is a very important one, which is not me doing a plug for probiotics, although I happen to take them every day. But there is a, a new consciousness or a new awareness, I think, in general, of the idea that a, a healthy digestive system, a healthy intestinal system, is absolutely key to overall wellness. I completely agree. Yeah, we, we've had this shift in recognition from in, in my lifetime of a uh, you know, as us as individuals to each person being a a community of our own cells plus millions of microorganisms and how how important all those microorganisms are, you know, in the gut, on the skin, everywhere. And I think that that recognition has been something that's been creeping up and it's really taken off recently. As I mentioned, the biggest sign of that is just how much you see it in advertisements now. Companies are saying, buy my product because it's good for your gut health or or dove soap says buy our soap because it's good for your skin microbiome health that that recognition of how important our our microbiomes are is something that's really taken off and there are whole companies out there that are specifically just looking for therapeutic targets in these microbiome arenas and how to treat different diseases or 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 things by simply manipulating the the microbiomes of people. So there is a way for us to take the results of the scientific studies and be proactive or to recommend proactive courses of action instead of just waiting for the worst to happen and then trying to remediate and get back to normal. Yeah, I hope that we're sort of progressing to a point where before you reach that something's very wrong, you can say there'll be a test that says, oh, you know what? Your gut microbes are off just a little bit. Let's rebalance those and prevent you from going towards whatever terrible end that might be. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think I think that's where we're headed. I, I don't have a I don't know exactly how long that's going to take, but the market around probiotics and all these different foods that are supposed to be good, that that certainly is a sign that we're we're getting there. The scientific community is always a little more cautious with things. And I, I think we sort of feel like we need just a little more information on how certain certain microbes interact with our bodies and with each other before we can 
make recommendations for what types of bacteria should be in a probiotic. It probably gets down to some very specific species that we have to work to keep in balance. Do you think that other researchers can use uh, the study in which you participated as a jumping off point for exploring some of these other issues that we've mentioned in this broadcast uh, that were not part of the purpose of your study? Certainly. I think I think the study contributes to sort of that field of, of knowledge. And, you know, we we studied um, college students, which is uh, um, different than a lot of studies. When, when we were constructing the paper, we were looking for studies that compared to it. And the closest sleep study we could find was done, their participants' average age were, was 60, over 60. Mm. And ours were 22. Yeah. Um, and so... Which is not to say that studying senior citizens is bad, but no, no, you have not. to uh, in- indicate that uh, the, the subjects were different and of different ages. And right. take that into and, consideration. And, and you have different um, sleep qualities in different age groups. Uh, older individuals tend to have poorer sleep quality than than younger individuals. And so if you're looking at this relationship, that has that age should, has to be taken into account. So I, I think that we fit in as a piece. Um, and we, at the end of our paper, sort of talk about some open questions still. And, you know, what's um, what do we still need to know? What, what are our caveats that we could um, fill in gaps in? And, and then, you know, I, other researchers could use this as a jumping off point, but we are intending to use this as a jumping off point. This mm-hmm. this was a, a pilot study mm-hmm. that we did, and we would like to uh, build on that and expand it with more subjects and different metrics of immune function and stress. And that's sort of where we're headed with this. We're going to sort of improve on this study and, and try to dig into this connection more. Did I read correctly that only men subjects were used in this study? Yes. For this study, that that is the case. As a pilot study, we had a, a limited subject pool, and I, I wasn't specifically involved in that choice. But as we talked about, humans person to person are, are variable, and male to female could be variable as well. And so that was a way to to limit variation. Um, I think going forward, including more than just men is is imperative. The goal of this was to test if we could see this connection with sleep. And so um, we took steps to sort of minimize variation where we could, person to person, and doing just men was one way to do that. And that was the only reason for making that choice. <laughs> Dr. Cole and thank you for being our guest today. Thank you for having me. We'll be right back. Expanding Your Horizons is an annual hands-on science and math conference at MTSU for middle and high school girls. EYH enables girls to investigate careers in science and math and to talk with female leaders in those fields that are so essential to our nation's future. EYH also provides the girls with fun hands-on activities and allows them to meet girls with similar interests. I'm Dr. Judith Iriarte-Gross, EYH Director. For more information, visit mtsunews.com. The Experiential Learning Scholars Program at MTSU gives students a chance to go outside the classroom and obtain hands-on experience in their chosen fields of study. They'll have the opportunity to give something back to the community through service learning as they gain acceptance for graduate study. Students should be able to select EXL-designated courses from major requirements and general studies requirements to complete the 16 to 18 hours of EXL coursework. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, 
go to mtsunews.com. Jimmy Hart has the middle moment. In the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, MTSU, like many other colleges and universities, moved to remote learning for at least the rest of the spring semester. University Provost Mark Burns discusses how faculty, staff, and students have adjusted to the change. Many of them will not be online classes in the same sense that classes that are developed over six months are. I mean, there will be some element of, okay, let's do the best we can in a week to get this uh, going. So, and I think everybody will understand that, that it might, some of these might not be as polished as a fully developed online course would be. But the main goal is to make sure that cre- credit is not lost by students, that we figure out a way to help students complete the semester satisfactorily and with the, approximately the same rigor and, and level of content in, the, in their courses. That's MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.